I forbid myself even to think that maybe I will not be able to return to Belarus long time. Because just such thought will be settled in your head. You can be got used to this idea and stop fighting. And uh, these thoughts make you wake up, get up and move forward. You just can't stop. Svetlana Tsikhanovskaya is the leader of the opposition to Belarus's authoritarian president Alexander Lukashenko, who was first elected in 1994 in the years following the fall of the Soviet Union. But his re-election to the presidency in August 2020, which is widely acknowledged to have been rigged in his favour, triggered the largest series of national public demonstrations in Belarus for 15 years. And Sikhanovskaya, his unlikely challenger, became the face of the resistance against him. She says that she became a presidential candidate by accident. She's a former English teacher and full-time mother, who as a child was among those affected by the 1986 Chernobyl nuclear disaster. But when her husband, the popular activist and online personality Sergei Tsikhanovsky, was jailed last May to stop him from submitting his own candidacy for the presidency, she ran in his place. Tsikhanovskaya now leads Belarus's opposition from exile in Lithuania, with the goal, she says, of keeping Belarus at the top of the international agenda. She's met prime ministers and presidents, and it was reported in January that she's been nominated for this year's Nobel Peace Prize. I'm Tomas Lewis, and I spoke to Sviatlana Tsikhanovskaya from her official office in the Lithuanian capital Vilnius for the big interview. Sviatlana Tsikhanovskaya, a very warm welcome to you to the big interview. I wanted to begin with your own story, if we can, in the years before the events surrounding last summer's presidential election in Belarus. Did you always consider yourself a political person or were the conversations in your family life, were they centred around politics at all before you became a candidate for president last year? I grew up in a small city. I have wonderful family. I met my husband when I was 23, I suppose, in a year we got married. We were absolutely a political people, the same as the majority of Belarusians. Uh, but about three years ago, my husband was involved in politics. Uh, he started to go from city to city, talking to ordinary people, how their lives are, what they're thinking about the regime. Would they change anything in our country? You know? And I was just an observer of this. Uh, I was housewife last 10 years. I was upbringing two children. You know, I just was following my husband on YouTube, uh, also watching his uh, streams and so on. Of course, I was worried about him because I knew how regime is cruel and uh, that in Belarus people disappeared and were put in jail because they were not agree with the political system, with the regime. And I understood that my husband is a target as well. And he was jailed a couple of times before pre-election campaign. And uh, they said he became very popular among citizens uh, of Belarus. And he people asked him to participate in, a, in the nearest election, an election of 2020. And he agreed, but he was jailed once again. He couldn't give his documents to Central Election Commission. And uh, I registered myself instead of him. 
And if the authorities had jailed your husband to prevent him from submitting his candidacy, do you have any sense of why the Electoral Commission in Belarus approved your candidacy to run for president? I was sure that uh, Central Election Commission will not let me continue because they knew I'm uh, his wife, but they registered me just to make laugh of me that nobody would uh, vote for housewife without any experience. But many things, uh, accident things happened that brought us uh, to the situation where we are. Because uh, other candidates, uh, they were not allowed to participate in the uh, election. One of them was also jailed. And the two women who represented those other candidates they also wanted to continue this fight and we joined. Three women started to represent Belarusians in this pre-election campaign. It wasn't about me as the candidate, it was about changes. I was just representative of Belarusian people. And then in August last year, election day comes around after a campaign where some of your rallies and events were attended by thousands of people. But the official results when they were released showed that Alexander Lukashenko had received more than 80% of the vote and that you'd received around 10% of it. What did you feel when you saw those official figures? On the 9th of August 2020, we had elections that were fraudulent for sure. And after elections, people uprised. And after election, there was there were three days of hell in Belarus where thousands of people uh, have been jailed and tortured and beaten in, in uh, unhuman conditions behind the bars. And of course, these person people couldn't forgive. After these huge demonstrations appeared on the streets of uh, different cities in our country and uh, peaceful demonstrations, people, uh, Belarusians didn't want to fight to use violence. Uh, We didn't want to be the same as regime. But uh, regime uh, started to show more cruelty, more violence towards people. Until now, they show escalation of violence. Thousands of people have been detained since, and uh, behind the bars now, uh, 670 political prisoners and thousands of uh, other people who have been detained because of their political views. And as that unrest was beginning, you were given an ultimatum by the authorities in Minsk. And I believe that ultimatum was either stay in Belarus and face arrest or flee the country. How difficult a decision was that for you to have to make? It was a very difficult decision because I went uh, all this pre-election campaign with people. I saw thousands of people uh, at our uh, rallies and uh, I just had feeling that I'm betraying people because it was difficult, but at that moment, uh, my inner mother, inside mother one, uh, I was uh, threatened that I will be uh, put in jail for many, many years and my children are alone. We know where your children are and they will be put in orphanage and so and so on. So KGB people know how to push, you know, on what button 
buttons to push just to uh, threaten any person. And it's uh, children, it's of course a big point of any woman. So that moment uh, I just chose my children, but of course uh, I didn't want to give up. The team organized around me in Vilnius and we continue to fight uh, from abroad. It also wasn't only about me. You know, uh, people self-organized. Uh, nobody ruled the demonstrations uh, that appeared uh, on the streets. People, uh, it was um, like people's wish, you know, to go out. They didn't uh, listen to any person saying, you have to go. They just, it was their necessity to go out against violence, against tortures, uh, against abuses, just to show that we are here, we are Belarusians, we want changes. And it's been a little more than a year now since you arrived in Vilnius, and we'll discuss how you and your colleagues have been continuing your work in exile in a moment. But as far as you understand it, what do you know about the situation on the ground in Belarus now? How successful has the crackdown by the government there been in keeping demonstrators, in keeping people at home? No, for sure, people are frightened. It's evident because the price for showing your position openly is too high. We see how people are sentenced to 10, 15, 20 years in jail for participating in demonstration. Of course, it's uh, understandable that any open demonstration will uh, bring more victims. This movement had to go underground. Uh, the wish of people hasn't disappeared, the wish for changes. This anger that people feel to this regime, it's uh, increasing day to day. But everybody understands their consequences for the actions. But despite of this, uh, everybody is doing very small step towards these changes, like putting our symbols somewhere, widespread uh, self-made newspapers, in villages and small cities because uh, alternative mass media have been destroyed by Lukashenko uh, during last year, but we have to give uh, real information to people. Only propaganda state TV is allowed uh, in Belarus at the moment, uh, but people need information. We uh, have to be very creative in such circumstances and we are using every possible media platform like Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, you know, any possible way to uh, give information. Uh, I, uh, every, every day I'm communicating to the Belarusians who are on the ground with different groups, like teachers, doctors, workers, just to understand what people are doing, what they're waiting from us, how can we help each other. And our workers are, have united into striking committee and they're preparing national-wide strike. And for sure, regime is afraid of this strike a lot because... During the last two days, many workers have been jailed in Belarus. So regime is using violence, is using their tools of pressure. And of course, it's, it's devastating. You know, they don't think about country. They, don't, they think only about their power. But, you know, people can't stop. People don't have choice because we are responsible for those who are already sacrificed with their freedom, with their lives, with their health just to give us opportunity to continue because my husband Sergei Tikhanovsky and Masha Kolesnikova and Viktor Babarika and thousands of other people they can't do any anything more they already did everything they could and now they can't find 
uh, from prison, but they are hoping on us. And we have to do everything possible, you know, to release all, all the people. That's why we are mobilizing people on the ground. We are mobilizing international community just not to lose Belarus from tension. And what, as far as your understanding, is are conditions like in prison for the people like your husband who are still being detained on political grounds? They are uh, humiliated morally and physically. They are lack of shower, their lack of fresh air, uh, the light is always on in their cells. They are sleeping without uh, mattresses, without pillows, you know, a lot of them, their cells are overcrowded, people have to sleep on the floors even twice, three times per night, uh, military comes into the cell, make them wake up, say they name surnames, you know, so they are deprived of normal conditions at all. Some people are getting out of jail in 30, 60 days of imprisonment. They tell the stories that parcels from freedom from their relatives are not allowed into cells and people have to use the same toothbrush, have to share toothbrush, have to share clothes. And people who is releasing leave warm clothes, you know, soap, toilet paper to those who are still in jail. On the one hand, uh, of course, it's awful. The conditions are, are cruel, are inhuman, but uh, solidarity that people show to each other, even in jail, uh, is tremendous. You and your team have been working in a very high-profile way to keep up the pressure uh, on Belarus. I believe you visited nearly 30 countries this year alone to try and relay that message. But what realistically and in a tangible way would have to happen for the end of Alexander Lukashenko's government to come about? On the one hand, it's necessary to support civil society, to help civil society to survive. It's very important, you know, because Lukashenko wants to destroy everything, but we need this financial assistance just to you know, to continue this fight. It's on the one hand. On the other hand, we have to create multiple points of pressure on the regime. It's a Peter that uh, international organizations that were created to solve such crises as in Belarus can't work with the regimes. They are useless, you know, and uh, uh, the only leverage, maybe not the only, but the main leverage European Union and other democratic countries have is... Uh, financial pressure, uh, like sanctions, stop collaborating, and uh, uh, political pressure, just not recognizing Lukashenko's regime, not uh, communicating with the representatives, just absolute political isolation. We want to solve this crisis peacefully through negotiations. We live in the 21st century. We are civilized people and everything can be solved through dialogue. No need in uh, human losses, no need in victims. Just let's get out of this crisis together. Think about your country, but not about your power. Because Belarusian people, it's already Lukashenko could be the first president of Belarus. But now in the minds of people, in the books, he will be uh, the criminal, you know, he couldn't get out of this situation with dignity. He turned into you know, criminal and terrorist. We vividly can show uh, future Belarus safe 
free where uh, there will be a rule of law and uh, we will attract um, investments we will attract the best brains in the world you know to uh, to raise our economy but region doesn't uh, have anything to propose for 27 years of their uh, ruling uh, belarus became the poorest country in europe they don't have future in our country But if we go back to June this year, a Ryanair flight, which was traveling from Athens to Vilnius, was diverted by the Belarusian Air Force, and it was forced to land in Minsk. The journalist Roman Protasevich was on board that flight, and he was detained. What was your reaction to that act, to the extraordinary lengths the Belarusian government demonstrated it was willing to go to, to grasp the people who speak out against it? It was unexpected for us we couldn't imagine that regime will cross this red line where he became threat not only to belarusians but also to other countries you know because in previous years like you know european union and always understood that it is regime people are not free in the country but he didn't cross this red line never but this time uh, everybody understood that everything has changed hijacking of the plane which was flying from one European country to another, it's something you know, unreachable. Nobody could imagine this. And moreover, I uh, took the same plane a week before Raman, and I also could be the target uh, for Lukashenko's regime. And, uh, you know, I knew Raman, uh, he was journalist, and of course, personally for me, it was uh, also very, very painful. And moreover, regime used uh, Raman in their purpose, they made him uh, to praise uh, Lukashenko's regime, to show that as if he changed his mind. But of course, we understand that uh, Raman is a hostage and uh, under pressure, any person can say uh, everything they want, just the task of any person in jail just to survive. But I suppose it's fair to say that the crossing of red lines, as you put it there, didn't stop with Roman Protasevich. In August, in Kiev, the activist Vitaly Shishov, who was only 26 years old at the time, he was reported missing after he'd apparently gone for a jog. And then the following day, his body was found hanging from a tree in a park not far from where he lived. The Ukrainian police are investigating his death as a murder, but again, what was your reaction when you heard the news of what had happened to Vitaly Shishov in Ukraine? Yeah, the situation with Shishov uh, also was, uh, you know, extremely cruel. Nobody could expect that people, uh, a person can be killed, uh, not even being in Belarus. Uh, we don't know where the investigation now because it's uh, secret information, but I think uh, the report will be published uh, uh, openly when it's over. After this case, uh, you know, even before we uh, understood all the time that we are targets of the regime, any activist uh, or, you know, specialist who fled the country because of repressions is uh, uh, under danger. But after this case with Shashov, we paid uh, more attention to this issue. And uh, we teach people how to behave when you think you are prosecuted or followed by unknown people. Uh, where to go, whom to call. Just uh, there is a rule in our team that if you, during work day, uh, you have to, I don't know, disappear or have rest for a couple of hours, you have to inform other person just uh, 
just we know where you are. That we know that everything is fine with you. You know, but knowing that uh, we also can be kidnapped or I don't know what could happen, uh, we continue to fight, continue fighting because we have no choice in this situation. You can't, uh, nobody can hide you know, and sit calmly because everybody feels responsibility for uh, what's going on. Just pay more attention to your security. And uh, I hope uh, everybody will be safe, at least abroad. Have those incidents or perhaps the work that you're doing in exile, campaigning and keeping up the pressure from abroad, are there any moments that you feel personally, perhaps, that make you feel that this is maybe a task that comes with too great a risk, that the process of bringing change to Belarus and doing so from afar is is just too difficult? You know, I forbid myself uh, even to think that maybe I will not be able to return to Belarus a long time because just such thought will be settled in your head, you can be got used to this idea and stop fighting. But you can't do this because your husband hasn't seen your children more than a year already. And it's your personal task to release him, uh, to release uh, other people. And uh, you, you just don't allow yourself think so. Every morning when I wake up, my, my first thought uh, about my husband, of course, the, I, I'm many, many times was that I'm exhausted. I don't want to wake up, especially uh, when the news are awful. There are some thoughts, I can't do it anymore. I can't be, bear it anymore. I, I, I have to stop, you know, no more strength. But every morning you wake up and think that, You may take your shower, you may have your shower, you can drink a cup of coffee, even if you are tired. Your husband can't, he feels awfully. Yes, you have, don't have enough time for children because of, uh, you have a lot to do every day, but there are women behind the bus who haven't seen their children for more than one year. Don't they miss children? Uh, Don't children miss uh, their mothers? We have uh, a woman who has five children. You know, it's awfully. And uh, these thoughts make you wake up, get up and move forward. You just can't stop. You have no right. People believed in you. You believed in people and people believed in one another. Sometimes people need rest. Of course, everybody's tired. Of course, it's, it's more than one year under such pressure. But small step is better than no steps at all. And to go back, Svetlana, to the idea of political pressure, can change really come to Belarus if Russia continues to support Alexander Lukashenko? The support of uh, Kremlin is important, first of all, for Lukashenko, because it's uh, almost the only country that uh, beckoned him. But this so-called friendship is very strange. For sure, these two people don't like each other. They got used to each other. They know how to work with each other. And Kremlin wasn't prepared for such situation in Belarus uh, at all. They were sure that uh, Lukashenko's regime will suppress protests and it will be like 10 years ago, like 15 years ago. And now in Kremlin, uh, they understand that the situation in Belarus will not 
normalize with Lukashenko. Uh, he lost trust of people. People Belarusian will never accept him. People are undergroundly now. People are not open, but uh, this atmosphere of uh, anger, of hate uh, to the regime, it hasn't disappeared. I think that Kremlin is also looking for a way out of the situation. Now, having nothing to propose, you know, they are back in Lukashenko just, just waiting, waiting what could be the next steps. But, you know, we have to change this perceptance that everything is dependent on Kremlin. For 27 years, Europe got used to the idea that we are like a part of Russia, we are appendix of Russia, we are so dependent on them that we are almost Russia. It's not so. We are, we are a sovereign country, we are independent. Yes, we have huge debt in Russia. You know, trade relationships are very close uh, and, and tight. Wonderful. Nobody says that we want to break relationship with, with the Kremlin. For sure, they will always uh, be our neighbors and we want to develop this relationship. But the difference is that the situation is in Belarus. It's not about Russia and Belarus, not about Belarus and Europe. So it's up to Belarus and people to decide what future we want for our country. So we have to change this way of thinking. If, if we take the situation in Belarus together with Russia, it could be never solved. We have to take Belarus separately. Belarus can be success story. Just don't put all eggs into one basket. And as we mentioned, you've traveled to dozens of countries, you've met world leaders in many places. But so far, is the pressure that's come from the West, is that pressure enough and is it coming quickly enough? I think there is such problem that uh, we lose focus, that we lose attention. We should keep Belarus on agenda in the uh, in international community. We have to raise Belarusian question on every level, on G20 summit, on UN Security Council. We have to organize a high-level conference about getting out of crisis in Belarus. We are preparing a justice conference about Belarus. We have to discuss all the time because so many things are going on around in the world. Uh, I understand this. But this is our pain, and we really understand that it's moral obligation of every democratic country to be with us. Because in the situation when autocracy may prevail in this world, we can't allow this. It's responsibility of everyone to be with us. We are your neighbors. Some countries are closer, some countries are far away, but uh, look, we share the same values. Don't build your policy on... Uh, business profits, you know, base your policy on, on, on values you share. And finally, Svetlana, what do you say when you meet those leaders or representatives of governments who you feel could lead this charge that you and your fellow opposition figures are yourselves working towards? What do you say to them? What would you like to see happen from their point of view? International leaders, of course, they understand that I'm not politician. I'm not experienced one. But so is I'm talking from my heart. And it's not only about me. It's about all Belarusians. I'm just the representatives of all those brave people. Your desire is so huge. Your desire to save the country from dictatorship, from violence. 
we are doing our job, but take responsibility also. It's also your fight. It's on the territory of Belarus now. But you, any country could face these autocratic changes any moment. And now you have to prove that values are not just words to you. This is about responsibility. So be strong and be brave. Take example from Belarusians, take example from Lithuanians and uh, go ahead. It's your time. Sviatlana Tsiganovskaya, thank you very much for joining me on The Big Interview here on Monocle 24. Do join us next week when Monocle's Georgina Godwin speaks to Jung Chang, the celebrated author of Wild Swans. The Big Interview is produced in London by Emma Searle and edited by Steph Chungu. But for now, from me, Thomas Lewis, thank you very much for listening. And until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.